Hello and welcome to the 20 Questions Podcast with Marysville Church of Christ. My name is Bishop Darby and I'll be your host today. Today um, we're going to be diving into one of the oldest questions that has plagued Christianity for the better part of a millennia. It's called the problem of evil. And it has a variety of different tentacles, a variety of different forms. And I think all of us, at any point in our Christian walk, has wrestled with it. The question, uh, the problem of evil goes like this. If God is all-knowing, God would know all that will occur, including the evils that will occur. If God is all-powerful, God could eliminate the evils before they occur. And if God is all-good... God would desire to stop the evils before they occur. But the reality is, evil occurs. So either God is not all-knowing and didn't know it was going to happen, God is not all-powerful and could not stop it, or, perhaps most troublingly, God is not all-good and chooses not to stop it. This problem of evil has plagued all of us. We've all wrestled with it. As we look around and see atrocities that happen in our world, many of us question, where's God in this? How could God let this happen? If God is all-powerful, why doesn't he stop it? There's a lot of ways that this can be answered, a lot of ways that people have answered it throughout time. Today I'm going to give you my opinion. Let me be clear, this podcast reflects only the opinions of Bishop Darby and cannot be held to the entirety of Marysville Church of Christ. There may be others in our church who would answer it a different way. But today I'm going to give you my answer. And I'm going to start with the three presuppositions that this problem of evil hold. First, that God, uh, if God is all-knowing, then he would know all things. Second, if God is all-powerful, he could stop all things. And third, God being all-good. Let's camp out on that third point, God being all good. What we know from Scripture is that God is entirely and wholly one thing, love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God says that he himself is the embodiment of love. In 1 John 1, 5, he calls himself a light in him there is no darkness. In James 1, 17, he calls himself the father of lights, the giver of all perfect and good gifts. God is entirely love. He is entirely light. He is all good. And that is the chief thing that we need to know about God. He is entirely good. So God is all good, and God does desire to stop all evil before it occurs. And that is in his nature. We see that throughout the lifetime of Christ as he is undoing the works of the devil, as 1 John tells us. That he is fighting against the prince of this world, as John 14 and 15 tells us. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. God's good and loving nature compels him to always act in good and loving ways. When God created this world, then, he had to create a world of love for the purpose of love and a world that could exhibit love. And though this is a good cause... There is one necessary part of that. That means God had to create a world of freedom. Because love requires freedom. I'm married, happily, to a beautiful and wonderful woman named Madison. 
It would be entirely unloving for me to one night while she sleeps embed in her brain a microchip that allows me to control all of her actions. Not only would it be unloving, but even if I programmed her to exhibit loving things towards me, to say the right words, to offer the right actions, it wouldn't be love. It would be coercion. And there would only be a couple of hours of enjoyment before I started to realize that this robot that I've created and programmed to demonstrate love doesn't actually love me. There would be an emptiness that would come from this form of fake love. Real love requires choice. It requires freedom. So God in his all good nature, the very essence of who he is, had to create a world of love with the potential of love, with beings of love. And in so doing, had to open himself up to choice. Understanding then that the choices of people could go good or could go bad. Just as in any loving relationship, there is a chance that the love will be accepted, but there is also an equal chance that the love will be rejected. But a world without love, just like a life without love, isn't worth having. So at the beginning of time, God, an all-good and all-loving God, created a world of love with the understanding that free choice, powerful choice, was required. A choice that could complete this love or reject it. So God is all-good. With that, I agree. Let's talk about all-powerful. Let's talk about all-powerful. The assessment made in the problem of evil is that God could eliminate the evil. God can stop the evil because he is all-powerful. But all-powerful simply means is as powerful as is possible to be powerful. God has all the power that there can be. But this power is subjected to his nature. This power is subjected to his lovingness, his goodness, his rightness, his kindness, his mercy, and his grace. This power, then, does not give God the right to do anything he wants. Rather, only to do that which is within his nature to do. Just as the Bible tells us that God cannot lie, so too God cannot coerce. So too God cannot go against his love. God can do anything as long as it's loving to do. And taking away choice from people Taking away the right to choose or reject love is intrinsically unloving. If God were to just one time come down and unilaterally coerce someone into a different form of action, what he's doing in that moment is taking away love's choice, taking away love. And God will not and cannot act against his loving nature. So we have a God who is all good. And all-powerful meaning will do anything within his power to do, as long as it's loving. Which leads us with the third part of this problem of evil. God being all-knowing. If you're a little lost now, hang with me for two minutes and we'll wrap this all up, hopefully, in a way that can be followed. What we have is a God who knows all that will occur according to the problem of evil. But again, let's nuance all-knowing. Just like all-powerful, all-knowing is can know all things that can be known. God knows all things that can be known. That doesn't necessarily mean everything. 
As we talked about, love's choice gives humanity a real and meaningful um, free agency. We have the right to choose X or choose Y freely. God's not going to coerce it because he needs freedom for love. So God's not going to coerce our decisions. He may work to help us make decision X. He may try to get us to make decision X, but he's not going to force us to make decision X. Decision Y is always there. And with this freedom comes a true power. We are instilled a true power by love's choice to choose X or to choose Y in any situation. But if that freedom is truly free, then that means the outcome is truly open. If in any given situation, I could equally choose X or equally choose Y, the only thing God can know in that moment is that I could choose X or could choose Y. Now, God, in his amazing intellect, may have an idea of which way I may go. But let's be clear on something. Freedom, free choice, truly uncoerced free choice, necessitates an open future, which means there is no set future. Meaning that in any given moment, God can only know the possibilities of what may occur. Now, in his intellect, and as we see through scripture, sometimes he can know those options very well. Sometimes he can even guess what outcome will come. But the future is non-existent. It just exists in possibilities. And so God only knows possibilities. The Bible talks a lot about this. And for time's sake, I don't have um, a lot to be able to go into, but let me offer you a couple of passages. In passages like Jeremiah chapter 18, God refers to himself as a potter, and we like the clay. And he talks about how a potter halfway through a creation can stop and change what he's doing. He can make something new. And so in this way, he offers a prophecy to Israel. And he says, the path you are going on right now will lead to X, Y, and Z, and they're all bad. But, verse 8, but if you change, something new will happen. What that indicates is that God sees the future not in the form of what will or won't occur, but what could occur. He sees possibilities. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 11, and Hosea chapter 8 and verse 5, God asks open-ended questions about what the future may hold, what it could hold. Frequently, God is caught off guard, expecting decision X to be made, but in fact, decision Y being made. We see that perhaps most beautifully and heartbreakingly in passages like Jeremiah 3 or Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, God refers to humanity. And he, he laments, he cries, he's singing a love ballad in which he says, For I expected you to produce good fruit, but I was surprised to see bad. God expected people to respond a certain way, but they chose something different. Because why? The future doesn't exist. Only possibilities. We see passages like that in Jeremiah 19, verse 5. Jeremiah 32, verse 35. Jeremiah 7, verse 31, constantly. But we also see moments where the future is changed. God depicts a certain outcome, but the choices of people change it. For instance, in Exodus chapter 32, God says that the Israelites will be destroyed. But in verse 14, Moses changes the outcome. 
In Numbers 11, Numbers 14, Numbers 16, Deuteronomy 9, Judges 10, 2 Samuel 24, 1 Kings 21, 2 Kings 13, 2 Kings 20, uh, 2 Chronicles 12, on and on I could give you of moments where the future has changed from one outcome to another, from one possibility to another. So what does all of this have to do with the problem of evil? Well, let's, let's review what we've learned. One, God is entirely loving and will only do that which is loving. God is all-powerful but cannot and won't act against love, meaning he won't act against choice, free choice. And third, God knows all things that's possible but can't definitively know the future because the future doesn't exist. So what we're left with is not a God who knows what evil is going to happen before it occurs and has the power to stop it but arbitrarily chooses not to. What we in fact have is a God who was so uh, enamored with humanity that he gave us the power of love, which we chose evil, introducing sin and introducing Satan. And now we as people are under the free choice of each other and Satan, being abused and hurt. And God, working in his way, is bringing love back to earth, empowering his kingdom, his people, to fight against the evils, knowing that someday he will bring all of this to an end. But God's not responsible for evil. God's responsible for repentance. God's not responsible for suffering. God's responsible for light. The problem of evil isn't a problem if God is not arbitrarily choosing to do nothing but actively working in the way that he can. What we have is a God who looks at the future as possibilities and see possible good and possible bad outcomes and constantly works to bring about the good ones. We as people constantly get to choose to follow or not. And likewise, we are constantly being impacted by the free choice of others. Why do bad things happen? Why does God allow evil? Well, God's not responsible for it. Satan is. Free choice is. I'd like to end this little thought by changing this problem of evil that we read. Changing it like this. God is all-knowing and knows all that is possible to know. God is all-good and does all things in love. God is all-powerful and can do all things that are perfectly good and loving. So when evil occurs, the future is non-existent and therefore God didn't know it was going to happen. And God will do all things that are perfectly good to stop it. But love requires freedom. So the evil was caused not by God, but by another agent, man or Satan. So God was not the result of or responsible for the evil on earth. Therefore, God can be all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful. We have to make sure that we're not holding God to unfair standards. And by unfair, I mean unjust and unfaithful. Whenever we depict God as meticulously responsible for the evil in the universe, what we're doing is rejecting the one thing he promised us he was, loving. And by so doing, what we're doing is being unfaithful to the God we're supposed to be serving. God is not responsible for the evil in the universe. God doesn't know all the things that are going to happen and choose arbitrarily to do nothing, but rather God acts in love in every situation, even when to great detriment to himself. To great detriment to himself. That sometimes means letting people do evil. And before we get too critical of God, 
let us also be clear. We do the same thing every day. For those of you who have kids, you've made the same decision God did. You chose to bring kids into the world. You didn't know the set future of what this kid's life was going to be. You didn't know if they were going to do good or bad. You didn't know if they were going to hurt themselves, you, or others. But you chose to bring them into the world out of love. And you worked in their life. You worked in their life in love to make sure they chose to do what was loving and good. You chose to act like God, to bring people, free agents, into a world, hoping that they would choose love. And sometimes they did, and sometimes they didn't. But that never means that you stopped working in love. And just as it would be unfair for you to be held responsible for the evil of your children, so too it's unresponsible for us, irresponsible for us to blame God for our choices or Satan's especially when God's the one working against him. Okay, like I said, a little bit longer of a podcast. I appreciate uh, you sticking with it till the end there. And if you have any questions, as always, follow up with Bishop Darby Ministries at gmail.com. I appreciate you guys. God bless you and go with God.